It is good to be here. Matter of fact, uh, I have not preached in a while, huh? Some time. My name's Rob Parker, for all you who don't know me. Um, over the last six, six years ago, we started the plant, and uh, I was a really bad husband and father for not taking really a lot of time off. So this summer, uh, I was encouraged by my beautiful wife, Susan, to take a lot of time off. And so we went away for almost a whole month of August, and it was good and refreshing. And now we're back to life. And so I am wearing this backpack, not as a sign to kind of like uh, show the kids up that they're back in school to frustrate them, but it really has to do with what we're going to talk about this morning. Not about backpacks and the importance of them, but one of the things that we have done over the last four years is we have gone camping. Now, before you guys say anything, let me ask my kids, do you guys love camping? (laughs) All right, but he is a trooper. And he goes camping every single year, every single year. And I am thankful for Scott Hosier for talking him into or maybe manipulating him into going camping this summer. But it's funny because um, camping is actually my favorite time of the year because it's the one time that I can really just detox and there's no phones, there's no iPads unless you want to read. All you do is you get no sleep from sleeping on the ground. You make every single meal next to a campfire, and you just don't also sleep because you're up all night listening to crickets and wild bears and things like that. But it's really, really relaxing. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. Everyone needs to go camping with their family (laughs) at least once in their life. Okay? Do you hear me? Okay? So many of you are shaking your heads. No way. It was real quick little side note. So I go into Dunkin' Donuts. We're all packed up. This year we actually brought a, a, one of those pop-up trailers. So like we literally look like, uh, remember the old uh, movie uh, Summer Vacation with the Chevy Chase? That was us. We had our huge, humongous Suburban with this massive pop-up trailer with everything else you know, jammed into it with four kids thrown in there as well. And so we pull up to Dunkin' Donuts to get a cup of coffee before we leave. And one of Sue's friends sees her and she says, yeah, that looks like fun. And I'm like, dude, you just totally threw us under the bus. So I like grab Sue. I'm like, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. You're going to love it. We got a pop-up. You don't have to sleep on the ground. So anyways, but you really need to do it at least once in your life. It really is worth the try uh, for us. Um, I think we really got manipulated into going back and forth. It's because the friends of ours keep going back and forth, and we don't want to miss that time. Right? Right. This is now year four. Year four. So, packing for camping is the biggest deal. You don't pack the day of camping, do you, Scott Hosier? No. Okay. Do you? Okay. Shane Higby, do you run to Walmart the night before? Maybe. Okay. (laughs) He packs the day of camping. But it literally is this huge ordeal. I mean, when we go camping, we pack literally the week before. And it's so imperative that you have a list of everything that you need. Everything. Because once you go into the woods, my poor wife's cracking up over here. Once you go into the woods, for the most part, you're done. Except for ice, which I always have ice. Uh, or any little odds and ends. But the big things you really can't find. And so I literally start a week before we go camping. You need a tent, shelter, right? 
unless you cheated like we did where we took a pop-up. Second, you need sleeping bags. When you camp in Vermont, you need to bring warm clothes because it is 44 degrees by 9 o'clock at night. You need so many little odds and ends things that the first time you go camping, you realize everything you do not have. That's what it is. You realize like, oh, I forgot this. Oh, I forgot this. Who's got an axe? You're trying to find an axe at another campsite. You forget all of the things that are essential. But over the years, we have learned that camping and packing for camping starts the week before. And I actually love it. I love it. It's like an adventure for me. I'm like, I'm out of here. And she's like, where are you going? She's like, he's going camping stuff. He's going shopping for camping stuff. But there's one thing that is the most important aspect of camping, and I have it in here. It's not a gun, okay? It's not snake repellent, but it's light, a source of light. And so for us as a family, there's many different forms of light that we need while we camp. You see, if you show up camping with a flashlight, it's going to be the week that you'll never want to do again. So we bring a lantern. Matter of fact, the Parkers bring two lanterns. And, and the Parkers over, always overpack for everything. And so uh, we kind of go, we either are saying as a family is go big or go home. Okay? So we bring everything and anything. We also bring six flashlights. Why? There's six Parkers. Every Parker, Parker needs a flashlight. Why? Because it's dark outside. You also need fire starters. How many of you ever watched like Survivor Man or like Bear, whatever his name is? They don't, fires don't start like that, okay? When you see him rubbing two sticks together, does not happen. Nothing happens when you take a leaf and blow on it. That does not start a fire, okay? He was probably drinking whiskey or something, blew on the leaf, and somehow made it come alive. So we bring lots of fire starters. We also bring, and this was such a great tip that someone gave us we bring glow sticks and this one is great because it's called it's called find me glow sticks all right so what we do is every night we set up two glow sticks sometimes three we set them up in our tents as a nightlight for our kids and we set one up outside because at night when you have to go potty there's no bathroom okay well there's a bathroom actually a long ways away and so your glow stick and your flashlights are your source of going to the bathroom, okay? So all of this stuff, I have, it's funny this morning to grab some of these little things, not all of them. I have a camping tote that I keep in our storage room that I literally keep it there for the next year. And every year I go through it again. But the most essential part of camping that you cannot forget is your source of light. It seems so simple, right? Doesn't it seem like, yeah, duh. Well, how many times do you think people forget batteries? Light doesn't work without batteries. And so in that, the light source is the primary, most important, essential tool in all of camping. You see, with light, once it gets dark in the woods, it becomes nighttime pitch black. And that light, even these little glow sticks illuminate your safety, your protection, and your security. 
And there's something about the darkness that, that is so terrifying. Even being 6'4", I am still terrified camping in the woods at night in the darkness. But if I have a flashlight, if I have a mighty glow stick, I'll go anywhere. I'll walk anywhere. I'm not afraid of it. It was so funny. This is a quick little side story. Usually in Vermont, you don't want to go to the dumpsters at night because what's at dumpsters at night? Bears. Are bears in Vermont big or small? Big. So Mr. Rob thinks it's funny to say, I'm going to bring the garbage out tonight. And I'm going to go as late as I can so I can see if I see any bears. And so I felt safe. Why? I had my lightsaber. I would have killed that thing with this thing. I would have fought it. I would have taken them out. And I would have won. But here's what we're doing this morning. This morning is our kickoff Sunday. And every single first week of September, we give you direction. We illuminate where God is sending us for this year. Every single September, if you look back over the, the, the last six years, every single September is our opportunity to illuminate what God has been speaking to our leadership team, to where we are headed. And here's what I want to do this morning as I jump into the Word. Many of you have been away, and that's okay. I've been away for a long time. Some of you have come into church again kind of with, with anticipation and fear and, and thinking like, am I going to be welcomed again? Or this is my first time back in a long time. Or, or maybe you've never been to a church like this. Here's what I want to tell you. This year, God has something huge in store for you. I know it. Let me give you one example. Denise Duffy. Five years ago, she walked into the plant not having a relationship with Jesus. And today, she is following Jesus. And do you know what happened with her following Jesus? Her husband became a follower of Jesus. And do you know where her husband is today? In paradise. And our hope is that each of us together would journey into what God has. So this morning we are going to illuminate the direction that God has called us to so that we can do two things. We can know Christ and what? Make Him known. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank You for this morning. And God, I, I come to You humbly because I know that even in, as I was thinking about this Vision Sunday, there was a different passage that I thought you wanted me to go through and yet all of a sudden you changed it on me and you, you illuminated it to me in such a new light. And God, I ask you this morning that as we look at your word, as we're encouraged by it, that God, that we would not feel any form of, of fear of stepping into the community of faith. That we would not have fear in, in stepping into a relationship with you. But God, today would be that starting line, that starting point that we would run fast, that we would know you. And as we embrace you, we would see so many things happen around us. So Holy Spirit, I ask you now, illuminate your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, then what? John. If you have a church Bible, when you get that page... Just tell me the number real quick so other people can find it. John 1. John 1. I'm going to give you a moment. 637. Page 637. If you have a church seat Bible, page 637. 
Let me read. In the beginning, the Word already existed. Now listen, I'm going to read this really slowly. Okay? In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. And nothing was created except through Him. Now look at that for a moment. Oftentimes we read Gospels in the very beginning we do what? We read through it very, very quickly to kind of get to the good stuff. But look at that. God created everything through Him and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. It's interesting because when you look at the Gospels, where do we think that the Gospels should begin? At the birth of Jesus, right? We think about Luke and Matthew that it begins in the, in the narrative of, 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 the, of the birth story. But it's interesting that John chose not to do this. But then you look at Mark, and, and Mark also began in a, in a very different place with, with John the Baptist. But when we think about the Gospel's beginning, we think that it is best to begin with the birth of Jesus Christ. Because oftentimes, that's when we think Jesus enters into this world. Enters into the biblical narrative, right? Seriously. When we think about Jesus, we think about when He was born in the town of where? Bethlehem. But John started his Gospel very, very different. He started at the very beginning of all things. He even started before creation because he didn't start with God creating the heavens and the earth and the waters and the fish and humanity and all these different things. But John starts at the beginning of all that we could ever comprehend. You see, we can never ask the real question, well then where does God come from? Because all we can understand is that God is the beginning. Correct? That's the hardest question of all. So if, so if God made us, who made God? And yet it's interesting because John starts it off by saying that the Creator of all things was present before anything. And with Him was another. And John identifies Him as the Word. But look at what John says a few verses down in verse 14. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. You see, the Word that John is pointing to, the Greek word is logos is Jesus. Jesus was there at the beginning of all things. Jesus was there at the beginning of creation and actually had a hand in all of creation. And the stars and the moon and the planets, the trees and the water and in humanity. 
Think with me for a moment. When was the last time that you ever thought when you looked at all things that Jesus' hand was upon every single thing you see outside? Turn to the person next to you and look at them. That Jesus' hand was on each one of you as you were created. Because all we think about is that Jesus was the added person of the Trinity. That when sin came and sin happened and and Adam and Eve decided to take their own will, and this is what you have to understand, when Adam and Eve decided to take their own will into their hands, that God had to come up with a better plan. Something that could draw humanity back. And so after everything didn't work in, in the beginning of the Old Testament, that all of a sudden God's light bulb went up and said, you know what? I think I'm going to send my son to bring salvation and redemption to all humanity. But that's not true. Jesus has always existed. Jesus has always been part of the narrative story. Jesus was there in the beginning and Jesus will be there in the end. And Jesus was never an add-on to the Trinity. But he is actually present all the time. Past, present, and future. That's pretty deep, isn't it? Think with me for a moment. Have you ever thought of Jesus in that light? I would say that the majority of us, when we ever heard of Jesus or we think about Jesus... We don't bring him back to Genesis chapter 1. But what's interesting is is that John uses an analogy, a a metaphor of Jesus. He uses the word light. Look at that again in, in that passage. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. You see, what happened next? When Adam and Eve fell, you see, there was no darkness in humanity. There was no being blinded by God. Even though there was night and day, God was always present. There was no barrier in the metaphor of darkness between humanity and God. But when Adam chose to sin, even though he likes to blame Eve, right? Don't, husbands, don't we all like to blame our wives? When Adam sinned, a veil came between God and humanity. And John identifies it as darkness. You see, Jesus came and has always been the light that darkness can never extinguish it. And what God had done was when humanity chose through their will to sin, to choose to do the opposite of what God intended for them, that's all sin is, to do the opposite of what God intended for them, God said, now son, step in. Here's another role for you. Another role of redemption. 
And you will be the light of the world that you will reveal myself to all of humanity. It's funny because when, when I go camping, darkness is actually very frightening. It's very lonely. And even when you're in a tent with your whole family, there's, there's moments when they're all sleeping and it's so dark that you feel like you're, you, you can almost have like a little anxiety. It's funny because when we set up camp, what we start doing is we set up the fire around 6 o'clock at night so our kids know where they're going. We don't even cook over our fire, believe it or not. We, we, we cheat. We have a Coleman camping grill. It, it literally boils water in four seconds. But we set up fi- a fire so that our kids are not terrified of the dark, Brandon Parker. We set it up so that as they're walking, that they can see where they're going. And even with that, we always say, hey guys, wherever you go, bring your flashlights so that you can see in front of you. And do you know what I oftentimes do? Is that even though I feel like I can just kind of make it to the truck and back without tripping over something, when I probably should bring a flashlight, I choose darkness. I choose to kind of bull my way through the darkness to get to where I want to be. And I at times have tripped. At times I've gotten hurt. At times I've had to cry for my wife who's a nurse to give me a Band-Aid. But you see... We don't see what's in front of us. And that's what God was pointing to is that, that, that there's a darkness called sin that takes away our ability to truly know who God is. Right? Do you know how many people say that they really know who God is but have never even looked at the word of Scripture? How many of us want to kind of paint our own picture of God but, but God said, I'm going to make it very easy for you. I'm going to give you Jesus. And I'm going to illuminate how much I love you, how much I care for you, how much I need you. And it's funny because as we're camping and as we're playing and as we're running around, it's everyone kind of congregates to the fire. We even one time, two years ago, we had this strange woman we called the cat woman who later in the night would kind of show up. She would see our fire and she'd be like, hey, I'm here. And we're like, ah! But that campfire actually attracts other people. Because there's safety in light. And it's funny because whenever we leave for camping, we oftentimes buy too much wood. And so we go to the next campsite and we say, hey, do you want some more campfire to help your, to kind of keep you lit up? We give them tons of fire, firewood, so that they can be illuminated at night also. You see, that's all Jesus came to do. Jesus came to illuminate the Father's love. Not his guilt, not his shame, not how frustrated he is with you, with with all the little things you do, but he really said, I love you so much, I don't want you to be separated from me. I want you to live in light. I want to be in a relationship with you, where you know me and you know the will that I have. And so I'm sending you Jesus to illuminate your heart so that you can clearly hear from me. Otherwise, what do we do? We stumble through light, through darkness. 
We stumble through this life and we just kind of bull over people. We kind of just make our own paths. And, and when the path hits a wall, who are we frustrated at? God. When relationships go sour and, and everything didn't work out the way that you planned, who do you get mad at? God. When your job has failed or something has happened and, and you kind of just kept pressing in with, without really truly allowing God to give you direction, who do you get angry with? God. And all God is saying is that I am present. I am here. I want to illuminate this world for you so that you can know me and my perfect plan. Are there moments of darkness? Of course there are. When we allow Jesus to fill our lives, even in this dark world, He gives us direction that brings more safety and security and warmth in the midst of everything that goes on. But here's something you need to realize and remember. Jesus was not an additive. He was not an add-on. He was not just something that God kind of thought up one day because of all of our sin and wretchedness. But from the very beginning, God said, this is my Son who was at creation and is part of creation. And because we love you so much, He and I love you so much, He is willing to step out of heaven and onto this earth. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Isn't that pretty profound that the Creator of us stepped out of heaven that we would not live a life of confusion and frustration, but instead He's saying, I'm stepping out of heaven and into this world to illuminate the Father's love for you. So Jesus comes down and He journeys and He does all these different things. He does all these healings, all these miracles, all these signs and wonders. And the moment He speaks, remember what John called Him. He called Him the what? The Word. What drew people to Jesus? His words. Was it His appearance? No. Because in Isaiah, it talks that, that there was nothing physically attractive about Jesus. He was not this rock star. He was not this, uh, you know, what's the guy, Levine, Adam Levine from Maroon 5? He was not Adam Levine with tattoos all over and cool hair walking out and strutting down and everyone's attracted to him physically. No. It says in Isaiah that there was nothing physically attractive about Jesus. But his words, the word, brought life. And in his spoken word and in his presence on earth, there was healing, there was deliverance, there was freedom from just bondage, there was emotional healing, spiritual healing relational healing. There was deliverance from, from the demonic attacks that, that really do happen in this world. You know, the only time we like to talk about evil is, is like when we think overseas and all the bombings and explosion or, or when someone shoots someone, we think of that as evil. No, there is evil in this world. And Jesus came in and spoke to evil. The Word spoke to evil. And Jesus says this in and Mark, and Matthew, I'm sorry. He turned to His disciples and He said, You 
are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out of out for all to see so that everyone will praise who your heavenly father you see here's what jesus did is he got his disciples together as as he was living in this world himself and he was manifesting god and as his words were bringing life and freedom and redemption all throughout israel and to the other cities of that area and as these disciples were were sitting around jesus and they were getting it and they're like I believe that. And all of a sudden, change started happening in their lives. Not really change that we think it changed, but, but actually a transformation that started happening in their lives. He all of a sudden, at a certain point of journeying with his disciples, as they're all looking at him as the light of the world, he turns to them and he says, you are the light of the world. No, no, no. You're the light of the world. No, 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 no. You're the light of the world. No, no, no. You're the light of the world. No, no, no. You're the light of the world. No, Jesus, you're the light. I don't want to be the light. I don't want to be the light. I'll point to the light, but I don't want to be the light. And Jesus stops. And I can just, this is one of those moments when you can just see the intensity of Jesus. It's like, you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. You get it. And it's in you. And that's what God's whole intention was. That He would come down and He would illuminate the love of the Father to all of humanity. Not some, but all. Is it God's desire that some go to hell? No. Read it in Peter. The epistle of Peter. God desires that no man perish. And in that he says, this is for all. For God so loves the who? The world. The best of the best and the worst of the worst. And he says, I'm going to illuminate myself that everyone has the opportunity to re-engage in the same relationship that Adam was supposed to have. And as Jesus was traveling, his whole intention was not to be here forever. It was to go back to be with Daddy. And all of a sudden, he says, now you are the light. You are the light. You have what I have given you. Think about that. Do you really believe... That Jesus has put this light in you that has brought about change and transformation. And I know that when I talk to the vast majority of you, that when I would sit down with you one-on-one, that you would say, yeah, Jesus has brought light into my life. Yeah, Jesus is great. Yeah, Jesus is great. But do you realize now that you are supposed to be that light for others? For others. So how do I wrap this up? When we think about Jesus talking to the disciples, we, we oftentimes, and, and really remember what I'm going to say, we think through it in our westernized Christianity. 
We think it through the lens of, of selfishness. About me, right? Then when I said you, who did you think about? You thought about me. You didn't think about us. You see, when Jesus spoke to the disciples, He gathered them all together. And this wasn't just some kind of private conversation like, hey guys, this is after this, we're going to meet up, we're going to regroup, we're going to you know, debrief, right? It's not one of our you know, MC words. We like to debrief. Like, let's do some debriefing. No. He steps up and he points them out and he says, you are the light of the world. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are the light of the world. And that's one of the things as a church that we really have tried to change the mentality of. That it's not about I or me. It's about us. And many of you have really gotten that, that I've seen this, this idea of a, a family on mission, right? An extended family. Think about that. But that's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. Right here in Mawa, you are a city for people to be attracted to us, not because of our service, but because how we live in our community, right? Most people drive by us, and what do I always say? They either think like we're like a horticulture club or we're like smoking weed. You know, the plants. What does that mean? I mean, in Colorado, it would be perfect to start a church with this. Everyone would come, right? Everyone would come. Hey, the plant. You've been to the plant lately? It's awesome. It's not what you think. But seriously, and I'll never forget, it was three years ago today, September 7th, a little crowd of us were down on Catherine Ave and Brook Street for three to four months straight. Every single day. Am I exaggerating? No. Every single day, people left work. People, when the work ended, showed up. People on their weekends were down there just loving people in the midst of their, their greatest tragedy, which was Hurricane Irene. And I remember thinking before we went down there, I'm thinking like, God, if we don't show up as a church, I'm quitting. I'm wasting my time. And it's really been about me and about you. And I had my mom's, my mother-in-law's little red Jeep that just kind of, and I remember like yelling at God all the way down there. They, you know, please let us be the lights. Let us be that light in this community in their darkest hour. I was probably crying because that's what I do. And I'll never forget that spring. I think of Josh and Allison, just the role here. I think about Missy, you know, here. I think about other people that are here, you know, Dave and Diane. I think about other people that have stopped in and showed up because of just being present and speaking life to them. And that spring, I got a call from, um, I got a call from the mayor. I'm like, why is John calling me? What, you know, something happened? Did we mess up at the school? What took place? He's like, hey, I just want to let you know I need, I need you to come with me somewhere next Tuesday. I'm like, jail? He's like, no. He's like, Governor Christie wants to honor, the, honor you guys for how you were a light in our community. 
And the only reason he knows about you is because of us. And so me and Susie Godding tracked down to Trenton. And we got to be honored. And for me, it had nothing to do with meeting Governor Christie. You know, I used to not like him until I met him and then I thought he was a good guy and now I like him. True confessions. <laughs> but I really realized that, that God has called us to be a light in this, dark, in this dark world. And I remember when I was thinking through all that I was going through in that time that that passage popped up. You, the church, are the light of the world. I think about Denise, and I think about Denise, you are the light of the world to your loved one. I think about Jeff Vandermont. He is a light of the world as so many people are in, in trying to figure out to buy a house or not. He has the opportunity to be the light of the world. I think about so many other people, the teachers in here, the nurses in here, the businessmen, the people who own their own businesses. We have the opportunity to be the light of the world because of the light we received. And so here's my charge to us. Be the light. Be the light. Let the power of Jesus who has transformed you shine through you. And when someone asks you why you're different, share. Share your gospel hope. They already know you're not religious. I mean, look where you come on Sunday mornings. They know you're not religious. But you have the hope of the world we started the plant, our hope was to really do things differently. Not better, just to be sent out on a different type of mission. And we believed on this mission called missional communities. That we were going to train people to know Christ and make Him known in their local settings, in their local contexts, in their local predicaments. And I remember when we planted the plant that, that I really had this vision from, from God that God was saying, it's not about a church, right? Don't we oftentimes hear that? That it's really about a church, our kingdom come, our will be done. And I felt like God saying, if you really want to know who I am, you have to plant churches. You have to plant missional communities. And so over the last six years, we've planted missional communities. We've planted six or seven of them. We've also have coached over really what is about 14 other churches to do what God has called us to. Now, are we there? Are we a part of them? No, but they come to us and we coach them and we send them out and we do all these different things. Every Wednesday, Omar's coaching a group. I'm coaching a group. But I also knew that God was going to take a missional community from the plant to start a missional church. And our goal was always five years. In the first five years, we want to see a missional church begin to start to have feet. And so here's what we're celebrating this morning. That we are the light of the world. And all God wants to do is start campfires all over Bergen and Passaic County. You see, when we started camping, we had a campfire. 
really two campfires. And then all of a sudden, the campfires went from two to multiple campfires. And all of a sudden, when you, when you go to Vermont and you go into Emerald Lake State Park and, and there's this whole little camping area, you have the bathrooms here, of course, we're really far from them, and the bathrooms way over here that we're really far from, you see this one area that's always lit up the second or third week of August. Because we have all these little campfires all over the place. And this morning we're celebrating that as God has a campfire here, that we are planting another and starting another campfire in Hawthorne, New Jersey. And so Kurt, Nicole, Leininger, would you guys come up? Bring your family up. They have been with us now really for two years. The first year they were here just figuring out what God was doing in their life, what was next. The second year, Kurt went into a church plant residency where he has been working with us for a year to just train him and equip him into what does it mean to be on this crazy adventure. I don't know why you guys are doing this, to do what we're doing, but it's the greatest journey of their life. And they came and they sat and they learned and we had a lot of hard conversations of, of what does this really, really look like? And they came to a point last summer and said, we want to do this. And so as we have a missional church here in, in Mawa with, with six or seven missional communities, their hope is to plant a missional church in Hawthorne and, and start seeing missional communities birth all throughout there. And so they're going to be going with a team of people. And if I can invite the team to come forward so we can pray over you. It is our desire to see another church be planted. Why? Because we believe the words of Jesus that we are the light of the world. And that we have an opportunity to reflect who Jesus is. So here's what we're going to do before we go into a time of communion. I want to invite Bruce Terpstra to come forward. Bruce is our super district intendant of the CMA, the denomination we're a part of. And I just want Bruce to be able to pray over them. And I just want to ask my elders and my leadership team to come forward, if you would. Elders and leadership team, so would you join us? We're going to lay hands on them. And Bruce will pray. You're going to the place I was raised. First five years of my life were spent on Hawthorne on West Roosevelt Avenue. And uh, let us pray together that God would bring the light to Hawthorne. Let's pray. Father, you have commanded us in your word, you have given us instruction that we are to send out people who are faithful, people who know you, people who walk in the light as you were in the light, and to entrust faithful people to go and to bring the gospel, to bring the good news, to make you known throughout the world. And so today, as a church, uh, we respond to your command in faith. And we pray for ourselves, Lord, because uh, we need faith to let them go because we love them. Uh, they are a part of our family. And so uh, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to believe that what you have asked, to do, asked us to do is a good thing, that you are going to bless as a result of releasing these men and women. And, Father, we pray that they would be light. And in order for them to be light, uh, you have given us other 
instructions. You said that we need to act like soldiers, that we need to listen to the commander and not to get entangled in civilian affairs. So we pray for these men and women, for these children, Lord, that they would hear the word of God, that they would actually hear the, the spirit of God in the work that you have called them to do to be on mission. We also pray, Lord, that they would be like athletes. Because your word says that we, we must be like athletes. We must uh, run the race and obey the rules, to be disciplined. And so I pray, Lord, you'd give them a disciplined focus on the task that you have given them. And, Lord, you told them to, that we need to be people like farmers who plant the seed and they wait. They wait for you to produce the crop because it's the farmer's the first one to receive the harvest, to eat of the fruit. And so, Father, I pray that you would give them a hunger for the fruit that they one day will feed, the one they will enjoy if they are a patient like the farmer. And so, Father, I, we, we as a congregation right now, we, we, we pray for them as an extension of the plant, as a light that will go out into a dark place and bring hope and a future. And we pray that your name would be lifted on high. We pray, Lord, that people in Hawthorne would come to know Christ and that they too would make him known. And Lord, we pray not just for a new church to be started, but we pray this church will reproduce itself in the next five years. We pray that this multiplication of churches would happen over and over and over again. And Lord... Uh, we pray that we would have a great celebration one day in heaven. Just as our pastor has shared with us, and, and he just listed some names of people who have come to faith uh, because of the light of this congregation, we pray that we would be hearing stories over and over again about what you have done. We worship you. We give you thanks for what you were about to do, and we commission these men and women in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.